1: Welcome back, Tuesday, July 5th, 2022, as we head into our second hour. I am Seth Leaves, and it is such an unbelievable delight to, welcome in, delight to welcome into the studio someone who has sat on this side of the microphone many a time and has been on the other side of the microphone many a time as well. It's just been a while, and that is Arizona Supreme Court Justice Bill Montgomery, uh, formerly uh, our county attorney and uh, now uh, sitting uh, on our state Supreme Court. bill montgomery gosh darn it welcome back to the studio it is so good to see you the smile on my face reflects how happy i am to see you i have uh, said many a time in and outside of your presence that you are my favorite uh, public servant in the entire country arizona's um privileged to have you and we're delighted and privileged to have you here too
2: oh thank you very much and i know that, that smile's not gas from lunch
1: <laughs> this is what happens now yeah <laughs> yes, this is how we do it now okay <laughs> also though on a more serious note i have to tell you this 4th of July, I don't know. It had a different feeling to me than most. I have spent 4 of July with you. We didn't spend one together this weekend just because we were dealing with other stuff. But there was no one I really wanted to talk to more uh, because I know how much of everything that is embraced in our Independence Day uh, moves you and moves inside of you. And um, there's a speech you gave, a speech you gave last uh, December – uh, called the massing of the colors right and uh, i want i want you to go through it with the audience uh a little bit and first tell us about the speech the massing of the colors and uh, then we'll get into it what is in the military uh which you were in um your what uh west point grad you have these terminologies, these terms that not everyone who wasn't privileged enough to go there had. So, massing of colors. Tell us about the point of this speech, what it means, and then we'll get into it.
2: Sure. the The event itself, uh, which was on December seventh last year, was sponsored by the Colonel uh, Billy J. Billy L. Stevens Apache Trail Chapter, or the Order of the Military Order, military Order of the World Wars. And this particular ceremony was sponsored by that chapter. And the intent there is to rededicate uh, ourselves to uh, to our nation and to promote civic responsibility and patriotism among the youth. And so uh, JROTC units from around uh, the state, the southwest part of the state, brought their colors. And there was a special uh, color guard unit that also presented uh, the flags of each of the different services of the United States and then our our American flag and our state flag. And the colors references those, you know, we we often call them flags. And they bring them all together to honor both the units and the different levels of government that they represent, as well as to, again, give uh, both veterans and non-veterans alike an opportunity to come together and, as I mentioned, rededicate ourselves to the principles that make this country so great. I was invited to be the keynote speaker last year and so my my speech focused on on those aspects of our nation that make it worth fighting for and, uh, and that also, um, I would say, represent an obligation each of us has to then hand down to the next generation.
1: Bill, I'll go through the speech with you if that's a good way to proceed because there's so much in it. It's pregnant and with meaning at every paragraph, if that's cool with you. But before I engage in that exercise, do you sometimes have the sense that, those who have had a military experience, such uh, have served in the military, uh, are kind of in a way standing on a front lines, pushing back a cul- against a culture of uh, relativism and enemy in this country. It seems like increasingly as one nation, two cultures, we look to the military and we look to people who have served in the military and we look to moments like Veterans Day, even sadly Memorial Day and July 4th as kind of a moment just to – how did Flannery O'Connor put it? Push back as hard against the age as pushes against us. Do you sometimes get the sense that people who wore the uniform are the ones who are still the ones defending the uniform? Um,
2: it, is that overly stinting? Is that is no, that too, too? No, well, because in in some ways, yes. And, and I was reminded of that um, many years ago uh, by an older veteran at the time who. You know, basically said, look, uh, and I was still in service, and he was talking to me and, and others who were gathered, and he said, you know, when, when one day you return to civilian life, and everybody who serves in the military will, uh, don't be afraid to share stories about your service. Don't be afraid to salute the flag. Don't be afraid to stand up when the flag passes by. Because if you don't, who will? And it may then cause someone to ask you a question. Why do you do that? And it's important for you then to share why you volunteered to serve in our nation's army. You're creating a teachable moment in a sense, right? Yeah, Yeah, very much so. And and it then gives you an opportunity to share uh, why putting on the uniform meant so much and what it was that drew you to be willing to put your life on the line for our country. Because they're just – you know, there's less than one percent of our nation serving has served in uniform now. So there there are not as many opportunities for for people to experience, um, you know, just just what it is to be an American and what sometimes that requires.
1: You know, growing up, we're about the same age, aren't we? Within a year so. or two. Yeah. yeah, within a year or two. Growing up, everyone knew someone, if not a family member, knew a family or a friend that had a military uh, presence, that was serving in the military, had, had a military experience. That's, that's increasingly not the case as the nation is growing bigger and bigger and as, and as people seem to look at the military as less and less of a career option and path. Are, are we doing a good enough job on recruitment and are we doing a good enough job at 1%? Well, you know, that 1 percent that figure
2: is driven in large part by the size of the military that that uh, Congress authorizes and is willing to pay for and that we as citizens are willing to support, too. Um, That's a great point. Uh, you know, That's a great and, point. And, and, you know, if, if I if I put my army hat back on, that often is driven by how we perceive threats yeah. and what those threats constitute and how we're we're willing and able to meet them. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, aside from that, there.
1: Hmm. Whenever, whenever people suggest, whenever people suggest we we should get away from an all volunteer and 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 go back to the way we we used to do it with um with you know conscript uh, conscription, what I keep hearing is, well, the professional military really doesn't want that, right? The professional military doesn't want that because. There's no selection involved. There's no self-selection and, and yeah. involved.
2: Well, and there's something to be said, too, uh, about leading people who want to be there mm-hmm. and aren't forced to be there. I, I obviously – I never led uh, an army of draftees. All of my soldiers were always volunteers. Yeah. And you, know, you speak differently to people who are there because they chose to be there rather than to a group who you have to motivate to be there – every single morning because they'd rather be doing something else and had chosen to do something else until they were told to be somewhere
1: Uh else. Uh The, um, The Gallup organization had an astounding poll. We'll get to your speech in a minute. The Gallup organization had an astounding poll that they released Wednesday or Thursday of last week. Ever since they've been measuring it, the answer, proud to be an American, was at the lowest level since they've ever measured it this year proud to be an American, Americans willing to say they're proud to be American. A uh, Mutual friend of ours, Bill Bennett, was asked about that, and he said he thinks the question is wrong. He said proud may be too temporary, it may reflect too many political uh, temporary concerns. He said maybe they ought to use the word love. I don't know if he's right. What do you think? I, I
2: would think that there may be some merit to the observation that proud could could have a temporal component to it. Uh, love i think goes much deeper
1: yeah and he re- thought we would get a higher number because people can perceive their love of country differently i'm not so sure i'm not so sure
2: well and it's and it's hard to get people to affirmatively say they're proud to be an american or they love america when uh, the voices that give reasons to be proud and reasons to love our country are not as loud as they used to be that's it. or as numerous that's it Um, So I it it hurts my heart to hear that. But unfortunately, I'm not surprised. Yeah, right. Not in today's environment. Um, You know, and and it's probably in part, too, that we don't uh, we don't we don't have enough voices or enough of a conversation about, you know, why America is good and deserving
1: of that pride and love. We're about to. We're about to. Was We're going to go segue? through your speech of them. That was nicely done. You remember what it's like to be to run a show. Well done, Bill Montgomery. I'm Seth and He's Bill Montgomery. We'll be right back. Sh- should we make it a Neil Diamond hour? Yeah, let's make it a Neil Diamond hour to honor. Justice Montgomery. And justice, we'll wear blue jeans. Yeah, we'll do some blue jeans. We'll do some Kentucky. We'll do some, We'll do. We'll do some. Uh, Bill Montgomery is our guest. He is a Supreme Court Justice here in Arizona. Delighted to have him. We're talking about his uh, speech he gave, massing of the colors. I'd love to just go through it with you as we extend the. Uh, the feelings uh, the, and the fervor that uh, that uh, was supposed to attach to us over the past, uh, the past few days. You tell these students no country in the history of the world has spent more treasure, shed more blood or toiled harder for the cause of freedom at home and abroad than in the United States of America without any goal of creating an empire. That last part's important, but tell us why you told them that.
2: Well, it, it's because, uh, you know, we were – we were born in battle uh, with the the initial shots at Lexington and Concord. And there is throughout our nation's history a martial theme of being willing to march to the sound of the guns. We would, I think, abuse that history if we overemphasize it to think that America was a warrior country or, or a country that at, at, at the first opportunity – Uh, We're going to drop our plowshares, pick up our swords, and we're going to go fight. No, 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 no. Our history is actually very different in that we're very reticent about fighting. But when we do, watch out. Uh, As Yamamoto told uh, the Imperial Japanese leadership, I fear we have awoken a sleeping giant. So it's one of those things where um, don't make us mad because when you do, then you will feel our wrath. But in doing so, there is also a consistent theme throughout our nation's history. And I know people will argue about it and we can debate it too, that when we go to war, we set forth the aims of what we're doing and why we're doing it, and it has to follow a certain set of ethical principles. We don't go fight just to conquer. Sure, there are times where there are also economic principles that are married to the, the justification that's offered. But we almost without exception go fight to liberate, um, whether uh, it was, um, you know, Spanish-American War liberating uh, Cuba, uh, the Mexican-American War liberating the Southwest from uh, from uh, invaders, uh, or whether it's, you know, especially World War One, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, the first Gulf War all to liberate people from oppression, that's what we do. We don't go fight in order to conquer other countries, hold them as vassals, and create an empire.
1: Or subjugate them. I mean that's one of the interesting things uh, that I was noticing post 9-11, uh, a lot of condemnation from abroad about America but also within America – uh, about us uh, being a revanchist country or even this neologism, an Islamophobic country. And I don't, I, I just, my, my, my recent history thought, well, now hold on a second. The last time the military has been deployed, perhaps even the last 10 times, it's been on behalf of liberating Muslims. Whether we're talking about Bosnia, whether we're talking about uh, uh, Somalia, whether we're talking about, uh, uh, the first Gulf War, whether we're talking about Afghanistan and the Mujahideen, almost every time in the last, I don't know, seven or eight or nine or ten times the U.S. military has been deployed, it was actually on behalf of liberating Muslims. How is this an Islamophobic country? How is this a country of discrimination? How is this a country of empire?
2: Well, in, in the, uh, the one war I didn't mention that gets to the heart of that comment is the Civil War. Right. 600,000 Americans on both sides uh, died. As a consequence of the North willing to go to war to preserve the Union and to free people in bondage, I and mean, there, there's probably no more tragic, because it was unnecessary in hindsight. You know, if you think about uh, you know the the creation of the Constitution, but nonetheless, it it, it occurred where uh, slavery was able to continue after our Declaration, after the Constitution. Uh, and we paid a, a severe price as a nation for having done that. And we've struggled ever since trying to correct that initial misstep. Um, but, you know, we, we wouldn't even know we had taken a misstep if we weren't the ones who had authored the document right. that serves as a standard by which we've measured every generation whether or not we're upholding uh,
1: what we, who we claim to be as a people. You know, that's an interesting point. I'll get back to your speech in a moment. Actually, your speech gets into this a little bit in in your discussion of Martin Luther King. Feel free to redound to it on this question or not. But, you know, when I look at the history of civil rights in America, uh, the speeches of Frederick Douglass, the speeches of Martin Luther King, others uh, who stood up for civil rights, there's a beauty to these speeches. They are beautiful speeches. And at the same time I say that, there's a sadness in speaking of that beauty. It's almost as if it's beautiful. I almost wish I, – I mean we, we do wish those speeches didn't have to be given. But they were beautiful and they were beautiful in part because they invoked the very things you're talking about here. They invoked the Declaration and the Constitution. Martin Luther King would have really had nowhere else to appeal to if he didn't appeal to our founding. Same with Frederick Douglass. It's an interesting thing, isn't it, that the keys – to uh, the keys to all of our successes are found there, hoary documents though they may seem. Every civil rights success and victory we had in this country was as a result of the words that were redounded to in those documents.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, you know you make a very good point that whether it was uh, Frederick Douglass or Booker T. Washington, yeah, 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 sure, um, Martin Luther King Jr others who have been able to call our nation to account when we've diverged from, again, who we said we were going to be. And I ask this question in all sincerity. Give me the name of another country where you can objectively measure whether or not that country is upholding its its basic constituent principles name another one that 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 does that if you say you're an american then you should be able to point through the constitution to the declaration of independence and say and this is what i believe in and what i'm willing to fight for i i don't think you can do that any place else and as martin luther king jr did um so so beautifully so tragically he could look america in the eye and say we say we're this
1: and we're not. Mm-hmm. We have work to do. Yeah, we have something to live up to. There's a be- – yeah, that, that that's the right marriage of terms, the beauty and the tragedy of it all, uh, which could equally, I think, be said of Abraham Lincoln as well, the beauty and tragedy of it, of, of of Abraham Lincoln and what he did in that civil war. Clint Rossiter said he was the Christ martyr of America's democratic passion play. not that a beautiful phrase, Abraham oh. Lincoln? The Christ martyr – shot on Good Friday, dies on Easter weekend. Whew.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and he died for the noblest principles this nation could ever point to as justifying the effort.
1: Let's get into those when we come back with more from Bill Montgomery. I'm Seth Leaps and he's Justice Montgomery and we will be right back. Neil Diamond and Frank Sinatra. That's America to me, especially the people. My guest is Bill Montgomery, Supreme Court Justice Bill Montgomery. Bill, in your speech on the massing of the colors, you keep coming back to the people, particularly the people in the military. It's a theme that runs throughout. I don't even know if you noticed it, how many times. You, re- you, you, you refer to the people in the military. The basis for the truth of the greatness of the United States of America is the men and women who have worn the uniform for America over two centuries. America is, yes, an idea, but it's also a people, isn't it, Bill?
2: It is. And, and that's what also makes America unique among the nations of the earth in that you can't point to a particular cultural or racial or ethnic component to say that's America. Uh Instead, you know,
1: America is Sinatra and Diamond. Yeah. It's you, Montgomery and Leapson. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, my my mom's family came here from Ireland. We didn't start off here. Um, and so, you know, you can be just as much an American if you were naturalized yesterday as if you're someone who could trace your lineage all the way back to the Mayflower. If you simply accept that those traditions and principles embodied in the Declaration, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights are going to guide your civic conduct. That's right. And, and that's because it's an idea, you can share it with people who may have a completely different background or look completely different. That's the power of ideas. It's the unifying aspect of ideas. That's what makes this country so great. That's why this country, time and time again, can come together against overwhelming odds and defeat foes. Uh, it's why we won the Cold War, as Reagan said, you know, Our ideas are better because we value individual accomplishment. We value individual contribution. And even if you don't speak the same language well or at all, if you're still able to contribute, you're welcome and your contribution matters.
1: This was that great point Lincoln made in his electric cord speech, wasn't it? He was talking about the new immigrants who in his day and age as the founding generation were dying out, had no – personal memory of founding fathers but the electric cord was the words they wrote in the Declaration of Independence that is what connected them right And you put in your speech same same with service members. Uh, you write all Americans entering the armed forces of our country take an oath that identifies the object of our shared civic devotion beginning with each service member stating their name. the reciting of the oath goes on to state that each service member, do you have it solemnly
2: swears that they will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that they will bear true faith and allegiance to the same.
1: What is this Constitution that must be supported and defended and command true faith and allegiance, Bill?
2: Right. And it is the longest continuously observed written Constitution in the history of mankind. I mean, think about it. our declaration yesterday, 246 years, our Constitution Eleven years later, the longest continuously observed written constitution in history of mankind. It is the very embodiment of the traditions, principles, and ideals set forth in our Declaration of Independence.
1: Do you worry about what the two hundred fiftieth in twenty twenty six will look like uh, as far as patriotic, if not fervor, uh, patriotic, uh, patriotic esteem? Do you worry about that a little bit? Um, I. I, I do. Um, you remember '76? I remember '76. Oh, yeah, I do. You,
2: it was. It was. I was nine years uh, old that different. entire year. Yeah. You. you yeah. Could go into yeah. a diner in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and you were going to get a a napkin that had an American yeah. flag on it with a, a ring of stars around it, and on the bottom, Bicentennial. Yeah. 1776, yeah. 1976. Yeah. 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 Um, first, I, I I expect, and I. I, I We'll feel very blessed that I'll be alive. Yes. <laughs> this yes. Um,
1: if you survive this interview, <laughs> let, let me let me take a quick commercial break. It's a big point, though. Let, let's give it a, the fullness it deserves on the other side of this break. As we go to break, let me put in a word for sponsors who help make this conversation possible. Why Refi? If you're looking for a, a, a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out Why Refi. They're offering a fixed no load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors in a secure and collateralized, portfolio. These are investors who are doing well by doing good, and you can be too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and then y.com. We'll, t- we'll talk about concerns going into our 250th in a couple of years here when we come right back with Supreme Court Justice Bill Montgomery. I'm Seth, he's Bill, and we will be right back. Thus concludes our poetic uh, portion of the show today. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Justice, uh, Arizona Supreme Court Justice Bill Montgomery is our guest. We're talking about a speech he gave, massing of colors, but we're talking about uh, the patriotic sentiment in America. We were just talking about whether Bill is concerned about what our 250th anniversary will look like uh, in 2026, as opposed to what it was in 1976 with our 200th. And may I remind for all that, fervor we both remember america wasn't doing so great right even then we had just had the first resignation of a president right two years behind us in a scandal vietnam was you know touch and go and yet we could summon up a tremendous level of love support and patriotic fervor in this country but forgive me if i think it's just a little bit different right now bill
2: well, I, I think that uh, there are, are some voices that question the those very basic traditions and principles in the Declaration of Independence, I and mean, it, it's easy to look at the author, Thomas Jefferson, and write him off because he did not behave as he wrote. But you know, Thomas Jefferson, and, and, and I think there is a really good book on him uh, titled "American Sphinx," yeah, right, yeah. And, and he really is a sphinx-like yeah. character. But he's a uniquely American Sphinx-like character in this sense. He, He captured the essence of what America hoped to be and needed to be in order to be free from Britain in the Declaration of Independence. And he struggled throughout his entire adult life reconciling what he knew he as an individual was supposed to do. And what he had helped create in founding a country, and yet what he did on a daily basis, and, and what he basically enabled in, in the South from a slavery perspective—you uh, know, this is someone who, in in his uh, writing notes on Virginia, acknowledged the evil that slavery did to both the slave and the slaveholder, and, and trembled before God over it.
1: Yeah. As he said. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That uh, God's justice will not sleep forever.
1: So um, Harry Jaffa, a professor of mine, whose work uh, I know you're familiar with, said it wasn't wonderful that someone who wrote All Men Are Created equal had slaves it was wonderful that someone who had slaves could write all men are created equal and thus energized certainly the slaveholders by his own behavior but by his writings and his efforts enabled and ennobled the fight against it.
2: And in that that view of the ultimate seeds of freedom that are planted in that declaration uh, and is reflected in how the framers of the Constitution struggled with creating a unified country and having to deal with slavery as an issue for southern states and at the same time try to figure out a way to not let it expand any further is what allowed Frederick Douglass to call the Constitution, after much much deep soul-searching and thinking, ultimately call the Constitution a freedom document. Right. Right. Um, and, and obviously, it didn't look that way if, if you were a slave in the South in 1787. Uh, but it is still because, as we were discussing earlier, with the, the, the portions of the Declaration of Independence that people can keep pointing back to. And they keep pointing back to it generation over generation. We're 200 years past. And the only reason we're able to say we still have a ways to go, again, is because we have the subjective standard. that, that we can point to, that every American is part author to and therefore has a part responsibility to uphold and to defend
1: and to continue to make sure that it breathes life. Do you think perhaps we have also a different lens on this history? I think the most important statistic in our society today is that 50% of high school seniors have an F in American history, 50%. So think about 18-year-olds. Half of all our 18-year-olds could be going into college, could be going into their first job, could be going into the military, uh, alien to a country they do not know, uh, and thus subject to so much more of the propaganda that C.S. Lewis worried about with the miseducation of our youth. That's what he said the biggest problem was subjecting them to propaganda. And if you look back at that history, Bill, uh, do, you, do you sometimes worry that perhaps we've got the, the wrong angle on the um the the wrong angle on the lens here, the wrong the wrong angle on the telescope, because it was the majority of this country that constituted the anti slavery forces, and it was the majority of this country and the majority of states that were non slave holding states And it was that majority that had a bigger army than the Confederacy that won. And it sometimes seems to me there's a lost cause version that exists in a a part of this country's reading of its history. Perhaps the 1619 Project would be an example of it or some of the critical race theory stuff uh, that almost acts as if the South was the bigger army. The South was the larger number of states and that the South won. The
2: the the best, most objective response to that would be, um, well, yes, the North won the war. The thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth amendments were passed. Uh, there was a civil rights act passed. Um, I think that was even over Johnson's veto, mm-hmm. as I think about it. Um, but it still would take another hundred years. And and again, you know, we agree. There's still some parts of our society that that still struggle with uh, with according to those basic civil rights to folks all the time, in all places. Uh, but because it took another hundred years, and and mind you, that was also a consequence of um, of states coming back into the union in the South and a certain weariness on the part of the North to keep fighting to keep pressing, which isn't an excuse in fact it, it it's a you know, justification for sorrow that it took another hundred years to take another large step forward in uh in in making those promises manifest in fact you know that's that's one specific thing i was alluding to when i quoted martin luther king right in the masking of the color speech that you know when he referenced that they were in washington that day in 1963 to to cash a check mm-hmm. that america wanted to say uh couldn't be paid due to insufficient funds right and uh king thought the funds were there oh dr king absolutely thought the funds were there and in fact um you know he stated uh and i quote but we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt right we refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation and so we've come to cash this check a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and security of
1: justice It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Uh, Let's come back with some concluding thoughts when we come right back. I'm Seth Liebson. He is Arizona Supreme Court Justice Bill Montgomery. I had the pleasure of speaking at his investiture. I loved that honor, Bill. Thank you for giving me that honor. I appreciated that very much. It meant everything to me. You mean a ton to me.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. And you did a great job. Thank
1: you, sir. We'll be right back. That's a haunting one by Neil Diamond. Now, I know those listening on podcasts can't hit our music, but uh, anyway, Bill Montgomery has been our guest this hour. It's been a delight to host him. He is Arizona Supreme Court Justice, formerly our county attorney. Bill, we've been going through your speech, Massing of the Colors. Give us your uh, peroration. Sure. Well, and
2: I I ended it with uh, the following that was, you know, directed to the. High school students who were there with their junior ROTC units, uh, but also with the the thought of of all those who will uh, raise their right hand and take an oath and put on the uniform in the future. And so it ends with this: To you who aspire to wear the uniform of our great nation, you are the men and women who will keep us free and true to who we declare ourselves to be. On your shoulders will rest the hopes and dreams of generations yet to be, to ensure they will have the chance to serve in the cause of freedom on behalf of the greatest nation
1: on earth. Thank you for that. You finish with the words, may God continue to bless America. When you seek a a, a renewal uh, or an uplifting of spirits, it must be quite something to look at an audience like this, to see young people having the same views, thoughts about dedication and service and defense of this country that you had at that age, that still continues. It still moves here, doesn't it?
2: Oh, it does. And and after the event, when uh, some of the young men and women came up to me and and thanked me for being there and referenced parts of the speech, and so they weren't simply standing at parade rest or sitting down, they were listening. Uh, That was incredibly... Uplifting, uh, But to also, you know, to to look in their faces and to see the pride that they have in wearing their uniforms, uh, that's that's what it takes to keep this great experiment going. You know, when when we if we ever get to a day where no one thinks there's anything worth fighting for in this country, um, that will be a sad day indeed, because we will have traveled many miles up to that point where people along the way would have simply dropped off and and given up hope and given up belief that this country really is uh, man's last and best hope for
1: freedom. And as was said of Gettysburg, should be noted of every person who perished in the service to this country wearing our uniform, it's our duty to ensure they did not die in vain. Amen. On behalf of a... uh, thankful state and country bill i thank you for everything you do everything you are uh thanks for this hour thanks for this speech thanks for your dedication and service i'm seth Liebson. we'll be right back